It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the return of 4020 Not Live. Uh, as you may have noticed, we weren't here on Monday, but we're here now. Um, now Origins fin- just finished, Phil. Um, and, and the excitement of a, a dead rubber and, and New South Wales won and everyone goes, oh, that's exciting. That spoilt it for anybody who was listening to the podcast and recorded the game. Um, but the amazing thing is, um, 75,000 people turned up for a game that we were told um, was dead and didn't matter. Now, but what an astonishing um, concept that they've come up with here, that people will buy into it, even though the result of that individual game doesn't matter. Um Again, you know, we shouldn't necessarily just ape everything that they do, but clearly they've got something there. Um, and yes, uh, a, a very expansive New South Wales compared to the previous two games paid off for them. Great debut for young centre Bradman Best. Um, and I would imagine that Brad Fittler probably will go into a meeting about his future in a lot more confident yeah. vein of form. But uh, yeah, James Tedesco was was fantastic, even though he was under... Huge criticism, and Queensland didn't really have any last tackle plays. But uh, yeah, series ends two one, and and people still love it. And, and uh, did anyone talk after? I mean, I know we finished exactly bang on time. Do we see any people speak to the media after the game? Are they still not talking? I, I don't know. I, I had to rush here oh. to be with you rather than uh, fo- follow the post match, but uh, I'm sure we'll catch up on it. In the olden days, James, of course, they used to send English referees out to do Origin. Would, would you like to have done that in your career? Yeah, it would have been a fantastic experience. I think that, I, I don't know who was the last referee to have done that, to be honest. I think it's not in my living memory, I don't think. I might be wrong. But uh, yeah, it would have been a fantastic experience to go down under and, and, and referee one of those games. It's just something special, aren't they? Uh, we're going to have to talk about referees, unfortunately, again. Uh, not because of referees, but because of people. But w- one thing that obviously has happened in Australia in the past, and they have different ways of refereeing things to us. They have two referees, we don't, or whatever. And the the, the, the bunker 
checking every try. Is that, that's something we can't do here because we don't have really a referee at every game. But is, if we did, would you like that kind of... I don't know, does it take the pressure off the referee or add more that every decision involving a score is scrutinised? Um, I like the review system that they have in the NRL now, where they award the try, and then if they and then and then it gets reviewed by the bunker automatically, and if they have concerns about it, it then gets referred uh, from on field back to the bunker. Albeit it's the bunker that's telling the referee to bring it back, send it upstairs, really. But I, I like that system. Um, it seems to work well. Um, whether you could do that, I mean, it looks like the RFL are looking to move to all games on, uh, well, some form of TV broadcast next year. But whether they can, whether they can introduce a review system in that, it will all depend on the number of cameras that they have at each game. I suspect they probably won't be able to go to that system. Um, but from a referee's point of view, having the facility to have your decision checked. Uh, is always a good thing. And, and not just from a referee's point of view, from the game's point of view, the, the game doesn't want to see errors. Uh, and I think <clears throat> I wasn't really watching the Origin game intently. I sort of had it on in the background this morning, but I did see a couple of decisions that were awarded on field and then were reviewed and overturned. And without that system, or without a video referee, they would have been awarded, as as, as you could clearly see, and and they would have been, you know, had an impact on the outcome of that game, potentially. And they did it very quickly as well. There was no uh, dissent in the crowd or, or you know, why are we waiting chance of three minutes? It it went up. The referee quite quite understandably, particularly for one of them, which literally came off a fingertip, gave the try. And uh, on review, it was, it was clear that, um, you know, there had been a New South Wales touch and it needed to be disallowed. And again, you know, no dissent. It, it worked perfectly. The bunker system works really well. I've visited the bunker in Sydney. It's you know a fantastic facility, and you know multi-million dollars have no doubt been spent on it. Um, uh, and the referee, the video referees, can control their own replays. They've got access to every angle. They're in charge of what they look at and how they look at it, and the speed at which they look at it, which I think speeds up the efficiency of the process. And yeah, in an ideal world, you'd move to that sort of system, and I guess that's what they have in with a VAR uh, system in football. But, you know, we're talking about the level of investment that the sport wants to make in, into that. And whilst we saw in the World Club, uh, sorry, the World Cup, the introduction of the Captain's Challenge, that wasn't that smooth in my view because it involves a broadcaster uh, and a broadcaster, no disrespect to BBC, that doesn't always broadcast games week in, week out, albeit they were using some directors from Sky. So it, the, the process becomes a little bit more clunky. Um, it, once you once you have that, and for me, it's about a spectacle. For the, not only for people in the stadium, uh, but people at home, it, it needs to be efficient. It might be easier to train match officials in basic vision mixing rather than train <laughs> experienced and highly skilled television operatives in the uh, rules and laws of rugby league and so on and so forth. Um, <laughs> Phil, you were at Salford on Sunday. And and I've looked at the scoreline. Salford 14, Leeds 16. And it's been a long 30-year bugbear of mine, of course, that when Wakefield were knocked out of the Challenge Cup in 1993 to Bradford Northern, that Neil Summers put the ball nowhere near uh, the try line and Wakefield lost by two points. Now, I, it would be easy for me to, for the last 30 years, harbour a grudge against Bradford Northern. 
and uh, Robin Whitfield, a match official on that occasion. But really, Wakefield lost that game because Peter Benson missed a load of goal kicks and we would have been through to the next round and probably lost to Wigan or whoever. Um, what happened? I mean, obviously, Phil, for all the Salford fans who are watching or listening, you're completely biased. What happened on Sunday? Uh, Salford were in control of their own destiny, um, as most teams are in every game, and had some issues that they didn't resolve themselves, but we live in a blame culture. So obviously um, it was purely the referee's fault that they lost. The truth is that um, they scored three tries to two. Um, They had opportunities with goal kicking to win the game. Um, The penalty that actually decided the game came from a dropout from Mark Sneed sailing out on the full. Um, I'm pretty sure having watched the replay that Aaron Moore didn't take that dropout. (laughs) Now, while um, Salford fans highlighted on social media some of the issues that they felt aggrieved about where they hadn't got the rub of the green, um, again, we are we are living in a culture where it has to be somebody's fault when something happens that we don't like. Um, and what you tend not to do then is is look at yourself and the kind of things that you could have done better. You know, all three tries that Salford scored came from kicks. They dropped quite a lot of ball in the first half when they had the majority of the play. Uh, individually, you can pick out as many issues as you want and say, but clearly there were a couple where a kicker has kicked through and it, it's that minimal split second. Did they get taken out after the ball had gone? Did somebody deliberately step across their line? Um, unless you've got the kind of footage that we get on Sky on a, uh, you know, a match day evening, a fan's camera from behind the post is not the same. Um, there was clearly a feeling before the game kicked off that um, some of the Salford fans were going to be aggrieved whatever happened if they didn't win the game. They, they, they were quite an angry bunch, particularly in the main stand. Um, and that's there to intimidate the match officials, and that's perfectly acceptable. But at some point, you've got to look at what you're not doing that could have influenced the outcome of the game. Um, and that may sound to particularly fans of the team that lost that that's soft soaping over the issue. I'm pretty sure as well that there were some 50-50 calls that that went against Leeds. It wasn't that that the, determined the outcome. Um, whilst ever that might be hard for, for Salford fans to hear, what I would say is that in Tim Laffey, they had by far the best player on the field. Leeds could not handle him. He was absolutely brilliant. It was a man-of-the-match award that could have been given at half-time. I'm not sure that the Salford players played off him enough or the Salford halfbacks played to him enough. Certainly, um, Brodie Croft didn't look fully fit to me. Mark Sneed wasn't fully fit, came off with a with a leg injury. Ryan Briley, who has been so influential this year, again, coming back from injury, didn't look at his absolute best. Nor Andy Ackers. They all played very well, but not as crisply as they had been playing when Salford were dominant. So we can either talk about what happened on the field, um, deficiencies in in both of the teams, the fact that Leeds hung in there, uh, just about did enough to get a win in a manner that they perhaps haven't so much this year. Um, or we could talk about referees. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd rather go down the route of the former, to be honest. I mean, now we're three days detached from this. It seems a, a long time ago. I mean, when we talk about Friday's games, it'd be, it'd be even longer, of course. But that initial anger, and now, where was I on Sunday? I didn't know where I was on Sunday. Now, obviously, it wasn't at Salford. But that initial anger you're just reading, you're kind of like, I think the first time I was alerted to it was the tweet saying uh, Aaron Moore should be hanged, which 
you know, he's, he's slightly harsh. And um, the person who did that has been banned from Twitter, which is amusing in this current era. When supporters tagging the club and their uh, chief executive, I think there's an onus there. On, I keep saying it every week, the, the club and those involved to actually put a, a stop to these things. But I, I, I feel like we're just asking this. We're going around in a circle over and over, James. We, we, every every week, something seems to happen where everyone gets upset about it. And I think the best tweet I've seen this week was on. The, I think I can't remember who it was now saying, you know, if you can't accept referees are going to make mistakes, then find something else to do on a weekend because it's, it's, everyone makes mistakes. Referees, officials, broadcasters, everyone. Absolutely, no, you do feel like you're banging your head against a brick wall, and. It... Look, it'll probably be forever and a day that referees will get criticised, perhaps unfairly, um, in, in the sense that you know a, a supporter will always seek to blame the referee or somebody else externally, other than their own team. And as Phil's rightly said, you know they 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 had a drop go drop drop out that went out on the full, which was a penalty ten metres in front of the sticks, gifted two points to Leeds. They they also gave them gave away two other penalty goals in that game, a late uh, a, a sort of a. a no attempt to tackle on a kicker penalty that led to two points. Um, and there was the um, what was the other one? Oh, the Partington late hit, uh, which led to another two points. So th- th- there were six points that the effect gave to to Leeds, uh, from which they kicked, uh, you know, penalty goals. So, you know, they have to look at their own discipline 11 5 penalty count. But when you look at the breakdown of those penalties, you've got six for foul play. One's a restart, which is the goal line dropout. Um, two for uh, three for offside, and one for a ball steal. I don't really know how the referee can not give give those penalties. That's up to the team to to not concede penalties, and the consequence of penalties, as 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 we all know, can lead to points. So, you know, I'm not suggesting that, that the performance was perfect, and you know, for me, there were a couple of errors. You know that it was it should have been a penalty uh, to Salford for the for the block when the two leaps players came together. That probably was in kickable a position, but you know there's other things that go into it. And yes, there was an escort on uh, Briley, I think it was, and yes, he made a meal of it, but it still should have been a penalty. And and again, that would have been a kickable distance distance. But to then point the the, the finger solely at the referee is just not right. And. You know, I don't know how many times you can really sort of repeat the same message in that, yes, referees will make mistakes in the same way players will make mistakes, as we've proven, and coaches will make mistakes. Um, unfortunately, as you know, you hope as a referee that the mistakes you do make don't impact, are too much of an impact on the result. And it's up to the teams to try and uh, avoid the referee coming into the equation. And it's up to referees to try and improve their performances. Uh, and, and and that's really as simple as it gets. I mean, it, I did that same fixture a few years ago. Um, and I had beer thrown at me as I left the, as, as I left that, that field. Um, uh, Brian McDermott, the Leeds coach at the time, came on and, and sort of shook my hand, which probably in, inflamed the situation in front of the Solvent fans. And he sort of apologised to me afterwards for almost, he'd felt guilty for almost creating a situation which stalled me in my in my in my exit from the field but shouldn't happen and I you know I think I said on 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 radio Leeds last week that uh, it was at Salford again where when they played Castleford yes it was a Castleford fan but a woman ran on the field during the game at, to protest at me so you know 
I don't know. It's just it's the referees are too easy to throw pot shots at. That's not to say they're perfect. That's not to say they don't make mistakes. That's not to say people can't criticize them. But criticize them, don't abuse them, and don't suggest that they cheat because they simply don't. Right, I think you need to the Cameron Smith try as well, which uh, which Leeds scored. And again, you know, the referee is not involved in that. It, it it's a great piece of opportunism from the player himself. But you'd have to say that if you were a coach and you were looking at the defensive pattern, they didn't move up quick enough to try and hold him out. And that's had more um, destructive value in terms of the, the final score than the referee potentially missing something on one side. But also equally, you know, again, he would say that's wouldn't he. But we haven't looked through all the incidents whereby perhaps... Leeds had a 50-50 foot uh, call go against them. And, and obviously Salford fans will say, oh, if a uh, penalty counts 11-5, they didn't have anything go against them. But, but but they probably did during the course of that game, if that's what you want to analyse. Um, my argument would be that's not what the focus would be. And on, on the Monday morning when Salford themselves were doing the review of their own performance, I would suspect that Paul Rowley would be talking about, you know, why didn't we get a crossing cover a bit more? And when we had the ball in hand in the first half, when we were we were moving it quite nicely, uncharacteristically, we did drop quite a lot of ball. We didn't complete enough sets of six. We we didn't put pressure on Leeds for long enough to tire them out. Now, again, you you can spend all of your social media time if you want clipping it areas where you think there's been an injustice. But as a coach, um, and, I, and I think as a player, you wouldn't look at that. You wouldn't be expected to look at that. Um, you're not going to beat the team you play next week if if you focus on the obvious outlet is the referee made some mistakes. And whilst ever that's hard for, for fans to, um, you know, to, to take into account when they look at the result on the league table, I... And I would say this, wouldn't I? But Aaron Moore's performance was not the reason why Salford lost. Well, I think Salford fans like us anyway, so it's okay. Well, maybe Gemma Carter does, I don't know. But uh, probably not. Uh, Leeds back. I'm I'm concerned, Phil, that Leeds are back now because, you know, at that time of year where they go on and win the grand final, at least get there. I think the dogged way they kept in a game that they could quite easily have lost and beat a team that are just above them on the league table without... um, ever really getting into first gear in terms of their attacking capabilities. Admittedly, they were without Blake Austin, who's been so important to that in the previous couple of weeks. You can only string wings together at this time of the season to make yourself contenders. That's three in a row, all in a very different style. Um, they've got another big game on Friday night, home to Hull KR, who they've they've just gone above in the league. But again, that would put pressure on Salford. And, and if results were to go their way, they won and and Salford lost, would leave them in the top six at the time of the season where, um, again, with virtually all the squad fit um, and, and you know, consecutive victories under their belt, they do become a threat because they know how to win the big games. Even if all or, the personnel change. I'm sorry, everyone. I'm sorry. That's just <laughs> how it is. The Pro Leeds podcast. When, when did that happen? Um, if... We were handing out awards right now for Club of the Year, and I know we're what, halfway into this. Well, no, that's halfway into the season. Then the Club of the Year in Super League would be the League Leopards, who have rebranded in a comical way. Granted, they haven't got a website yet, but uh, they are second in the table. They're in the semi-finals of the Challenge Cup. I, I said to Edwin, a, a puppet at the start of the season, in a, in a comical way, almost all the pressure was taken off the players and the coach at the start of the season because of the the rebrand and. 
well, you can't say that now because they've won 12. They win again at uh, Castleford at the weekend. They've got Salford this weekend. If all results went their way, um, <laughs> they could go top of the table by the end of the week, which would be uh, which would be some story in 2023. Oh, it's astonishing. I mean, um, I think Adrian Lamb deserves an enormous amount of credit, um, not only for the way he's prepared his team, the tactics he's played, but um, the fact that the belief that he's had clearly going into the the season has, has translated itself into the players. They've kept most of them fit. They play a lovely, attractive style of rugby. They've got some key players in the spine positions that are playing well every week, not least his son Lachlan, who, who again, if we were to give a man of steel two-thirds into the season. I reckon he'd be it. Um, and he'd probably be fighting off John Asiata for the, uh, for the, for the crown as well. Um, no, it, it, it's an amazing success story because we haven't seen a promoted team perform as well as this ever in the summer era. Um, and, and I don't think, you know, you know, I need to look further than that. Off the field, clearly their pre-match entertainment has been brilliant. Um, the buy-in, um, I think, you know, it's harsh to use the word comical about their rebrand. I think we may have thought that in February and, and looked at, you know, are you using the right logo when you, you know, is it really a leopard and is the, is the, is the shirt grey or, you know, does it need revamping a little bit to, to get you? Forget all of that. The town has bought into it. Um, the fans have bought into it. Uh, nobody really is calling them centurions anymore. They are leopards. And uh, in that sense, the rebranding has worked. Um, and, and again, I think you've got to take your hat off to to Derek Beaumont, who again can be a you know a figure of fun uh, occasionally. You know, sometimes he, he he perhaps tweets when he shouldn't, and 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 maybe about things that he shouldn't. But but all in all, I think his his um, his, his leadership and it, and his financing it, it has been almost impeccable this year for what they've been trying to achieve. And I, and I wouldn't want to take anything away from from what they've done. The problem they're going to have is if this success comes back and, and bites them because. Two or three of their players, you can imagine, would be very sought after in the the NRL, and and then you've got to almost start this process again. But but where they are at the moment, um, yeah, team of the year without question. No, I just echo that. I just uh, it's tremendous. I was re- looking at Twitter this week. I saw some interesting stats on promoted teams and what they have on and uh, have done and what they haven't done. And one that stood out was that there's no promoted club that has won 15 games since Oldham in 1982-83, which is, 83 was the year I was born. So it's such a long time ago. <laughs> you know, but what, they've won 12 games, so they're not far off that, and you'd expect them to get at least 15 games between now and the end of the season. So I think, you know, historically that just proves it, doesn't it? As, as Phil said, they're certainly the best uh, promoted team in uh, in the Super League era. Smart recruitment and an owner who's obviously got the money to uh, back up his mouth, which which must be substantial knowing Derek's moment's reputation. Uh, they, I mean, they've done... I think, I think we, we, we shouldn't lose sight of the style that they played as well, because, again, it hasn't been five drives and a kick. They've played wonderfully entertaining rugby, scored a lot of tries. They like to move the ball. Um, they're not frightened to express themselves. They're doing it off the back of a... An aggressive pack of forwards who who can play, and you know if we are talking about John Asiata, yeah, he's tough. Um, you you wouldn't want to be stopping him if he was running at you, but he's got a beautiful late offload in him, and that's giving people like Lamb and Reynolds the the chance to spread the ball. They've got old heads in in sort of Hardacre and Briscoe um, who who just know how to manage a game. 
and they've stayed relatively well not relatively they have stayed injury free there was that amazing stat the other day um as who's got the most ever presence and and it's something special when you've got the smallest squad but the most number of people that have played all the games this season that's just something about the conditioning staff the the training regime um, you know the fact that they've they've spread the workload about themselves. I I, I just don't think you can. You know, I think we may be underestimated. Adrian Lammy took Wigan clearly to a grand final that was lost by a, a fingertip, but but was then dispensed with. And you thought, you know, is Lee a retrograde step when going back into the championship? Clearly, it isn't. He's a fantastic coach. And again, you know, wouldn't want to put any dampness under the the success that Lee have had so far this year, but. You would be very surprised if you know teams in the NRL were not looking at him. Bearing in mind he's still a, the assistant coach of Australia, um, who clearly don't play often enough, but he's still very highly thought of over there. And and you would think, um, particularly if there was interest in his son, um, and, I, and I'm not saying this because I, I wish him to leave either of them to leave. Lee, I, we want the best talent over in our competition. But you'd be very surprised if certain clubs weren't looking at him as a potential assistant coach, his son as a as a, as a leading player. Uh, but forget all about that. Enjoy the season. I'll I, I tell you what, the, the semi-finals coming up are almost impossible to predict. And even though um, St. Helens are favourites in terms of the bookies mm. uh, for the Challenge Cup, that is a semi-final where Lee have got absolutely nothing to lose. And the players that they've got and the manner that they played, they'll trouble Saints. And Lee at Wembley would be another fantastic chapter in this wonderful story this year. On the flip side of that, though, Castleford beaten at home again. And they are being dragged into this thing at the bottom, thanks to Wakefield winning again uh, against the odds against Wigan. But while Wakefield are bringing in players, Castleford just seemed to be is stagnant the right word. Yeah, that's how it appears, you know, from the outside looking in. Um, I think Wakefield's upturn has, has been contributed by some mid te- uh, mid-season signings, hasn't it? And when you look at Castleford, I'm not sure really who they've signed, if any. And uh, something has to change. That Wakefield have what, got uh, three wins now out of the last four games, is it? Um, and and, they, and they've got a huge game this week away at Huddersfield. Um you know, I don't think people would have predicted Huddersfield going to Catalan and winning there. But, um, you know, from Wakefield's perspective, um, playing in, in 12th, playing playing 10th, they, they'll fancy their chances at Huddersfield. And, uh, and and suddenly if they win that, they're potentially on the same points as Castleford. So that that the, the fight towards the bottom end of the table is is just as important as the, as the fight to get into the top six. Um, but, yeah, I think... You sort of speak to Castleford fans, they're concerned about the direction that the club generally is heading. Uh, I think we've discussed it before, haven't we, about, you know, Wakefield with the new stand and and, and the potential takeover there. Uh, and I think that's the concern for, for, for Castleford supporters is that where where is the club going long term, even even sort of beyond what's happening at the moment uh, in, where they are, in terms of where they are in the league table and, and their form, what's the long term? I think Huddersfield's astonishing win in Perpignan, which probably hasn't got enough credit because, again, we we didn't see it and we didn't tend to see it live. You're, you're following it on the radio or social media and it, it deserved better because that's their best performance of the season and one that, again, we, we just would not have predicted. Um, I think that makes it a straight two-horse race now in, in relegation that, that there was a possibility if um, the Giants had been heavily beaten in Perpignan that playing... 
Wakefield this week and Castleford in a fortnight's time, that it would have been a three-horse race. But but clearly, uh, from where they were against Leeds and, and, you know, Ian Watson basically saying that, you know, arguably the worst performance they've had under him, the, the two weeks following that, they've turned that around. And that is astonishing that, you know, to, to be in contention at, at Wigan uh, for long periods and then to win away in Perpignan, which is one of the hardest places to go. I, I think that does show that the, they've got enough there to not even be uh, worried about looking down. You know, that they, they could, if they wanted to, still sneak a, a playoff place if they go on a run. But uh, that makes Wakefield's um, game against them harder. Wakefield have won their three games all at home. They haven't yet won away, so that's going to be another test for them. But I think when you do win 27-26 and, you know, in golden point extra time, then that tells you something about the character of the side. Um, that they, haven't, they have been beaten heavily on a couple of occasions this year, but in a lot of those games, even the ones they lost in that long run at the start of the season, they were in it to a point and then conceded and then fell away because they knew they didn't have enough points in them. Um, the, the, the character of the team and the effort that they were putting in was never really questioned. Uh, I'm not sure where Castleford are on either of those fronts. Um, you know, that that was a poor defeat at home to Lee in the, in the fact that they were never really in it. Um, I, I, and I don't know, you know, Huddersfield, uh, Wakefield again, and just picked up Josh Griffin, haven't they? I know he's banned and uh, probably won't play until, is it the last three rounds of the season maybe? But having another body coming in at this stage, he was proven quality, he was playing really well at, at Hull before they let him go, um, scoring a lot of tries, going back to a club where he's been before, um, you know, that fits a side that are going places. You know, Castleford at the moment being linked with a couple of PNG props. And again, um, I don't know how quickly they would get them over here. I don't know how quickly they'd get up to speed to play at, at Super League level. But I'm I'm not sure that coming in at this late stage in the season, that's going to make a, a huge amount of difference to them. Um, it, it, again, it's where is Castleford's next win going to come from? And the longer that they go... So that game at Wakefield in August, which now will be on Sky Live, um, could well be a million-pound game in the making. The harder it's going to be for them, they're, they're, they're at Hull um, this week, which is you know traditionally a really tough game between those two teams. Um, but you, you, you hesitate to say that they're in a last-chance saloon or they're getting there because of what Huddersfield did this week, because of what Wakefield did this week. So uh, I, I, I think we'd be foolish to pr- predict to which wire this is going to go down to. But of the two, I would be more worried if I was a Castleford fan. Yeah, well, if you lose on Friday and Castleford win on Saturday and everything, <laughs> the, the whole picture changes again. The worry I have about these players that Cass are signing from PNG is I'm sure I've read these headlines for at least a month, two months, and nothing seems to be happening with them. Whereas... Wakefield seems to, oh, Josh Griffin's coming. Oh, he's, oh, he's signed now. Hull have released him. Now he's signed up. Obviously, he should, he should have that seven-game ban rescinded. Now he's moved clubs, obviously. That's uh, very much my opinion. The prolific Tom Lynham again with a try for Wakefield. And Will Dagger, who, you know, many, when the, the initial deal was made with the swap for Corey Hall, thought, oh, no, this we're getting the rough end of the deal here. But here's how these things work. It's like when Paul McShane went to Cass and Wakefield got, um, what's his name? Scott Moore, and uh, we all know what happened from there. Um, Hull FC win the derby against Hull Kingston Rovers, 16 points to six. Hull FC are back now um, in front of a crowd of not applicable, um, but it looked full. Um, interesting game. Hull KR 
going into these semi-finals, I know we're, they've got the game this week against Leeds, obviously, but then the semi-final against Wigan, uh, heading me again, they're low on bodies. Now, they haven't had, they've had the problem that Lee haven't had that. They are running short on uh, men's up and out on the field. Yeah, I think we spoke about that before on the injuries that the whole KR have had. I was actually surprised uh, how well they stuck in that game. Uh, it was a bit of a tough watch the whole derby, but um, ultimately it was a, you know it was a close contest. I don't, I don't think there were two teams that played particularly well, and they seemed to lack a little bit of uh, creativity, missing Jordan Abdul in the half certainly. Um, but you know it was it was a good defensive performance generally, and I, you know but but. Away at Wigan, uh, well, not it would be a neutral venue, obviously, but in terms of the semi-final in a couple of weeks' time to play Wigan, they're going to have to they're going to have to improve a little bit on that whole whole derby performance. I would suggest that. Yeah, I'm not really sure what the answer is there for Hull KR. They seem to have kind of lost their way a little bit over the last few weeks. Albeit, as I said, I didn't think it was a disastrous performance in the whole derby by any stretch of the imagination, but they just seem to lack a little bit of creativity. I think that Derby result showed how far Hull have come. Um, that obviously Good Friday they were absolutely trounced um, and put in the kind of performance again that I think would really please the coaching staff. That again, you know, not flash, not many opportunities. Take what you've got, go go to a hostile environment and come away with the points. Uh, Tony Smith won't dwell on it being a Derby, but I think he, would, you know, he would be very satisfied with the fact that um, that was a, that was really solid and the kind of the kind of performance that they wouldn't have put in maybe six, seven weeks ago. Um, so, you know, a good win for Hull. Uh, I, I think Rovers seem to think that Brad Schneider will help them. They, they bought him in from Canberra, you know, half-back, 23 years old. They're going to throw him in uh, this week against Leeds. And I, and I think they would hope that that will give him sufficient game, um, game time and awareness of what Super League's about to play in that semi-final. Um because they do, they they were shorn of creativity. They they do need that, and um, pubs are sort of working out how to play with the the Jeslet and, and Matt Parcell duality, which because they can't both really play at hooker. One of them's been sort of playing in the halves, and that's changed the dynamic a little bit. Um, but I do think that there is enough striker at Rovers to to get out of this, and uh, their pack is very hard working. They've got. Um, James Batchelor back this week as well, who went again when he was injured at Magic Weekend was was in terrific form. Sets a great lead. Um, so it is good for the semi final. It's going to be down to bodies, but they'll, they'll want some kind of a performance at Leeds going into that game. They won't want to be doing it, um, you know, tr- trying to conjure up something that uh, that they haven't done for the last three or four weeks. And I think again, something Willie Peters has said in the in the lead up to this week's game is they've gone away from who they are. Because um, I think he's got a way that he wants them to not only play but be perceived. Um, if they can get that back over the next fortnight, they, they will be a threat to Wigan. But they just need the right the right number of bodies back who can who can turn a game. No, I assume because I was working in Leeds on Friday night, so I missed the Wakefield drama. I was watching on Twitter. Um, that's uh, Darrell Powell did his press conference before I got home. But another win for St Helens, another defeat for Warrington and Saints. Now third in the table, Warrington down to fifth. And uh, Saints, Saints going on the, the Leeds playbook of you know, lulling everyone into a false sense of security at the start of the season and now winning games and building their uh, grand final. Was it five in a row they're going for? Some ridiculous five, Pete, that's it, isn't it? Uh, that they're going for this year. And, and now, that, now they're back as well. They are definitely back now. 
it was a tremendous game that it was one of the games of the season I think um, and and for the Warrington fans that have been worried about where they're heading and what they're doing I think that might have given them some reassurance I know they didn't get the result but the performance was certainly there uh, and they're, they're, they're too good a side to not be in that top six surely um, you know based on that on that performance they've just got to be consistent now with that but I thought it, the game kind of had everything really, including a little bit of contra- controversy around a couple of passes. Um, albeit, I didn't think it was either either were that forward, um, and it and it shows the influence that Sky commentary can have on public perception because there wasn't much conversation about the the uh, the dog try in the second half, but there was far more conversation about the the one in the first half. Um, but that's just the way it goes. Uh, it was as I say, it was a it was just a great contest and. You know, if you're if you're a champion side, which is what St Helens are, um, then you find a way to win, and and that's exactly what they did. I think the only worry I'd have if I was a Warrington fan was that they did get to 2012 up, um, and again, if if they are going to seriously contend um, on on the grand final front, which they're desperate for, they're going to be coming up against situations like that in the playoffs, where once you're ahead, you've got to find a way of closing the game down. Clearly throw George Williams into what they did last week and they you know there is a possibility they would have won that game. Um but it's just pleasurable as a neutral to watch a game of that high level of skill uh, and intensity. And whatever we say about whether there was a slight forward pass or not, there were a couple of tries in that game that were of the highest quality and that that other sports would have been lauding, you know, going from end to end and rippling through Numerous pairs of hands. The Matt Dufty try for Warrington must be one of the contenders for try of the season. Um, absolutely brilliant. And and I think again there was a there was almost a slightly hushed atmosphere at the beginning because the Warrington fans didn't really know what to expect. Um, but it, it didn't take long for them to really get into it. And and it was just another example. Those two teams tend to produce wonderfully attacking spectacles. Um, and at a time of the year where there isn't a lot of other live sport in terms of ongoing weekly competition. Clearly, we've got some big events at the moment that are one-offs like the Test Match and Wimbledon and uh, the Open Golf's about to start. But in terms of a rolling narrative, you know, to watch Warrington last Thursday and then uh, the following week and the difference in in the way they played without a massive change in personnel, um, we, we've got so much to be to be grateful of at the moment and uh, and, and a competition that that really we should be lauding rather than worrying about whether a pass was for or not. Again, Warrington had enough opportunities, particularly when they were ahead, to win that game rather than look back at whether or not one of the tries scored against them was from a forward pass that actually they'd already overcome during that game. You need IMG to uh, grade referees and you get 0.001 for every forward pass taken. Oh, I don't know. Um, that was all super league. That, that was all super I, I, There was no massive... Well, there was controversy with spoken about at the start, but nothing else. So that was good. Um, before we get on to the championship, um, well, well done Canberra Raiders, who uh, managed to do a viral thing. I don't know if they won their game or not, but um, a shame, as I predicted what the tweet of the week went for in the paper, because he's an odious... I was going to say a word I can't say then, but uh, yeah. But yeah, well done to... Well done to Canberra. And if you took it in the wrong spirit, then you're an idiot. Uh, in the championship... What a win for Batley. 42-0 over Halifax Panthers. Well done to our man, Craig Lingard. He's on the front of the magazine, Phil. Have you got the magazine in front of you? It's out this week. 
Oh, yeah. It's at the bottom. Just seeing there. Um, Featherstone beat Swindon 52-6. Not so good news for Martin Kellner. Um, York he, went, he went to the game as well. I said, of all the games to choose to go oh, to, really? why not did he choose that one? Because he lived down the road. But uh, <laughs> regretted it. Uh, Keithley 10 York 50 big win in the uh, Andrew Henderson derby York and this shows you how tight it is isn't it at the bottom of the championship York have gone from and they're not I'm not saying they're safe or anything but they've gone from was it fourth bottom to uh, just a couple of wins outside the playoffs now which it's a ridiculously tight division I think it shows that they had a number of injuries earlier on in the year didn't they and they've got some key players back and, and that they're turning their fortunes around but I noticed Keithley has got a new coach uh, this week, uh, Matt Foster. He must have hopped it on a on a plane from from Queensland, from the Gold Coast, was it? Burley Bears, I think, where he was sort of involved in coaching and a bit of a, a Cougars legend. So I think he's sort of coming in to hopefully try and uh, ensure that they maintain their championship status this year. I guess the, the issue for, for him, and he may well be a very, very good coach, is that clearly he's not coached in the championship and he won't know the group of players that he's got. That, that's a hell of an ask for somebody coming in from halfway around the world. And and again, almost tainted with those words, Cougar legend, like turn up and turn the fortunes around it. If only it was as simple as that. Otherwise, every club would be coached by a former legend. Um, I, I, I mean, there were a couple of results that, that really stood out in the championship. One of them was that York result, which I think throws Keithley really into the the, the relegation mix. Because um, when you lose at home by that margin, uh, that would be a concern. I think the other one is London, who've almost gone under... Well, th- there's another two on the back of that, because obviously it was a game on Monday. But let's take London first. <laughs> um, you know, I know they've signed Dean Farre and they've signed Corey Norman, and that's that's gesture of intent in that division if ever you wanted to make one. But you looked at, you know, a, a win against Toulouse with Ollie Leyland, the key player, you know, was one of the, again, the, the, the youngsters that they brought through from Kent uh, where the game was played at, at Ebbsfleet. Um, you know, they are, again, I, I think more than perhaps even looking at a playoff spot, which they're not far off. Now, they, they're now playing Halifax, who, who are in a huge mm. lull at the moment in the 1895 semi-final. London at Wembley is a, is an intriguing prospect and what that would mean for the game in the capital. And that's not to say they're going to win that game because clearly uh, Simon Grix is a very good coach, but he, he would have been concerned at the manner of the defeat at Batley. 42-0 is, is, is a huge uh, whooping for a, for a team that themselves are still in the six. And the other result was Widnes, who again have been through a huge amount of turmoil, um, changing John Keir, um, you know, losing some of their players, Against the Bradford side that seemed resurgent, uh, you know, beating them on Monday night on the uh, the, the Viacom uh, tr- uh, transmission, uh, which apparently buffered for for quite a lot of the time. And whilst I've no idea what that actually means, didn't sound very good. <laughs> um, but again, what a result! You know, you, you go from the depths of despair and Widners are going to be pulled into the the relegation battle to now thinking, oh, Widners could nick that playoff spot if if Halifax's form continues. So yeah, like we say, the the you know, no no form line in in Super League. There isn't in the Championship, and and you look at Newcastle again, who've thrown yeah. themselves a lifeline with a with a win against Whitehaven. Uh, Sheffield beat Barrow thirty six eighteen. Obviously, the concerning uh, missives coming out of Whitehaven now, asking for fans to donate money. Um, 
as mentioned last week, these are difficult times for everyone, whether you're a professional sports club or just the uh, regular Joe or Josephine on the street. So is it a surprise that a club who are at that bottom end of the championship obviously don't have wealthy backers are struggling? And I guess the answer to that question is, well, not really. No, it's how you, how do you manage expectations of supporters who obviously want to be as high as possible, but also not, bankrupt yourself at the same time and that's the difficult thing for club owners from the top of Super League to the bottom of League One I think that's the challenge isn't it I think Rugby League's often been built around one or two wealthy owners or directors involved in clubs and where you've got a club that doesn't have that which appears to be the case in Whitehaven then you, then you you are going to be prone to to that I, mean, I think they've budgeted for slightly larger crowds than they're getting which is obviously not helping the revenue uh, and you've got to budget back, you know, back in late last year, and perhaps not knowing exactly what your your income stream is going to be. It's it's you know it's tricky, but that's I guess that's business. But if you haven't got somebody with uh, some deep pockets that you can go to when things get tough, uh, but it's not a great look, is it? Going you know up, putting yourself on GoFundMe or whatever it is that they're on. Um, yeah. it, it, it's a really poor look for for a semi-professional competition, a semi-professional club, really. If only London Irish had done... No, um, let's not go there. Um, but does it also say something about the dearth of talent in Cumbria at the moment, which we know is a hotbed and we want to keep going, and maybe not dearth of talent in terms of there's some really good quality players playing in the community competition, but that they don't want to transfer into the semi-professional ranks? And where, where was before, you know, Workington, Whitehaven... I don't know if we do include Barrow because it's perennial debate about whether that's in Cumbria or not. But certainly those two clubs, the traditional ones, they don't seem to have that ready supply of young players coming through who are match ready to play at championship level. And and it might be to do with the fact that we've heard it before that you know a lot of these players have got very good jobs at people like BNFL, um, and they they don't want to necessarily just give up their social side of playing rugby to reduce their time at work and, and suffer potential injury and, and play in a, in a, a part-time basis. I, I just wonder whether that's something that is specific to Cumbria at the moment because there doesn't seem to be that same level of, of player recruitment. And, and you know whilst it's great that the figures that were bought out with the RFL accounts indicated there were 6% more people playing in the community game, uh, I, I just don't know whether that, that is the case up in Cumbria at the moment. It's a long time, really, since Whitehaven or Workington were pushing the, the top end of the, the championship table, isn't it? White Workington have sort of yo-yoed a little bit in and out of the championship, and, and Whitehaven have probably been mid-table towards the bottom end of the championship, and and themselves, been, I think, in League One. So, yeah, and I mean, people talk about whether this should be a Super League team in Cumbria. I think you make the point there, Phil, isn't it? In terms of local talent. You're gonna to have to pay people enough to leave their their good jobs at uh, BNFL to to become a, a full time professional athlete. Never mind a, a part time player. But it's a shame because, as you say, the community game up there is strong, um, and you know the game doesn't really want to see one of its club go to clubs go to the wall. Almost, we ask these questions so often and and for so long. That maybe there just isn't an answer to the Cumbrian question. Maybe this isn't an answer. It's not as simple as saying, let's put a team in Super League there because of the historical rivalries between the two sides, unless there is a real will between those two clubs to want to do it. And and how you do it, and if you keep the other two clubs in League One or whatever, and 
it's it's one of those. And, and is the stadium there for in in the area that would be a Super League standard, which is not a thing anymore? But you know what I mean. It's it's all these little things that add up. Yeah, Does anyone it, have the answer anymore? Yeah, I think IMG have the answer, and I know it doesn't suit all people, and I know that uh, clearly. Um, that there are some vociferous people who are against the fact that you're trying to manufacture uh, what competitive sport might look like. But the truth is you also have to play to what you've got and not what you think you have or what you used to have. And it may well be that bringing out these grading criteria, which I know we've all spent hours poring over now that they're uh, publicly available. I, I know I've been doing nothing else most evenings. <laughs> and my word, they're complicated, which is great because you know it's transparent. You get to see them. But for the clubs themselves, they now need to take the kind of decisions that you were just talking about. If if Cumbria is serious about having a Super League presence, they now have a route that tells them what they've got to do to get to that. Now, whether they want to talk to each other about doing it together, whether one of them thinks they're strong enough to do it apart, what they've got is the template. Um, and, And if we do stick to it and it is rigidly enforced and people get away from the fact that it's all about whether you've got an electronic sign hoarding and how many Twitter followers you've got, which it, which it isn't. That is a very small part of a very big project. Um, and it's ironic as well as, as we make the point in the magazine, because we're looking at whether this has been the closest season ever, particularly at Super League level. The fact is we should be looking at what's happening on the field at the moment. And we've now got a big document telling us what needs to happen off the field. And there's a certain irony about that. But what it does for places like Cumbria, it says you want to be at this level. That's what you got to do. You go away and tell us how you're going to do it. There's there's quite an interesting point made by um, Carl Hall in his feature on League One about how Doncaster are going about looking at it. And they're not querying the fact that those um, standards and conditions are now there. They're looking at how they make the best of it. And 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 I guess that's what every club should be doing. It's all, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm already sick of reading people saying, well, this club has got this many points and they're going to be in the Super League and this team's not. And it's like... You don't know. No one knows. The only people who know are the people who are actually going to be doing it at IMG. And I assume it's not just some people just making things up from the internet. But, well, I mean, you never know. It could be. Um, that's the championship. Uh, there's one thing else we should mention in the championship, because you mentioned it on, on Twitter on, on Monday, Phil, ironically. Um, and because this goes back to why do referees get abused? Well, A, because we're, it, it's ingrained in, within us. They are the evil people. Sorry, James, you are evil. Uh, but because you know our teams are the ones wearing white hats, the opposition's the the bad guys, and the referees are part of the bad guys because they're the fourteenth, eighteenth, whatever man, nineteenth man. But when the clubs themselves on social media cast aspersions on decisions made by the match officials, and have done this constantly for years, and nothing changes, then I ask. Why aren't the RFL doing something about it? Because this is not a new issue. You know, it's different from, I know people say, oh, the, the commentary on BBC Radio, whatever, is, is biased. And whether it is or not, that's that's of no uh, problem to me whatsoever. It is what it is. It's an editorial decision. But when a club tweets, the referee got it wrong, that, that is an issue. That is an issue. And it does need to be dealt with. I think that's the point that, Um, I was hoping to make was that this is an official outlet. This is not to say 
fans can't criticise officials. It's their inalienable right to do so. How they do it and in what manner they do it, we can debate and have debated. And clearly there is no uh, tolerance for any level of abuse. But what stirs up the fans, perhaps, to criticise the referee is when they see their official club social media account saying that um, a man in the middle has got a decision wrong. Now, they're watching it, as far as I know, the same as as, as we are. You know, they're at the ground. They're, they're probably in the press box. Um, they have a, a an instantaneous view of something. They don't have recourse to being right next to it on the field. They don't you know, have the ability to look at it at different angles. They are making an instantaneous judgment on what they've seen. And if, they're, if the official social media feed of any club, and it's not aimed at the two clubs that happen to be playing, it, it was just exacerbated by watching what we, we were watching and seeing some of their reaction to it. That becomes an official mouthpiece of that club. Whether the club like it or not, whether they put somebody in charge of their social media feed who's employed by them or whether it's a volunteer or whether it's a fan, it doesn't matter. That is the official, at that moment, um, opinion of that club on that decision. And if you don't use the word allegedly, if you don't use things like suspected, if you say, oh, the opposition have run away and scored a try because the official has made a mistake, then you are giving licence to all of your fans to, to have a mass pile on. And I think that, you know, that is something that the game itself needs to take far more seriously and that it, it might be an education thing in the first instant. Who have you got doing your social media feed? What have you briefed them on what they can and can't say? It might be that if it's something that you continually do, you have to be fined. Um, you know, there has to be a consequence. I look at some of the social media feeds, for example, of people like Sheffield, and they are very, very funny. You know, I, I don't know who is in charge of their their feed, um, but it's very self-deprecating. It never blames an official for a deficiency of the team, and often it takes the mickey out of themselves if they've done something wrong, and that is really commendable. I look at some other clubs, and I say, I didn't name them deliberately. You know, if people want to equate the fact that a time a game was on as to when that comment was made, that's entirely up to them. But there are some who get it consistently wrong and who, again, going back to the Salford-Leeds game, look for a blame outlet at the time of an incident, and it's wrong that that should be under the club's official crest, in my opinion. I'm, I'm presuming the Sheffield uh, social media is not run by Mark Aston, because he's <laughs> famous for criticising referees. <laughs> uh, but you're absolutely right, it does open the floodgates. And, uh, well, I would have thought uh, it should be in the operational rules somewhere, so that might be a task for you, Richard, for the next week. Some bedtime reading again. I've got to do some hoovering. Uh, I'm in trouble. Um, I, I mean, fair play to Wakefield when I worked there. They didn't give me the password to Twitter, so I couldn't get in trouble. So that was uh, that was good. Um, that's the Championship League One. Uh, Cornwall have done the double over London Scholars. 30 points to 14. Uh, Midlands. They're, they're a team who seem to do well in the first half and then drop off in the second, which is, I'm not, I'm not criticizing them for that because obviously they did that against Hunslet, who were second in the table, 18 all at half time, 54 22 at full time. They, they do appear to be a team who are growing and apparently a decent crowd in Derby as well. So another new venue for the sport. Uh, Oldham beat North Wales 37 24 and Workington 40 points to 12 winners over Rochdale, who are currently uh, remain the uh, the worst of the traditional sides in the sport, unfortunately for the uh, the old Hornets. But 
there you go. Uh, League One, don't, uh, Dewsbury having the week off. So, uh, let's close that gap on them. They take on Oldham this week, also in League One. Cornwall Midlands and North Wales versus Worthing. Just we got another week off as well. What's going on? Championship this week, witness, uh, witness Bradford, that's been. Uh, championship on Saturday, Toulouse Batley, Sunday, Barrow Feb, Halifax, Newcastle, Keithley Witness, Swinton, London, Whitehaven, Bradford, and York versus Sheffield Super League. It's Saints Catalans on Thursday, Huddersfield Wakefield, Leeds, Hull KR, and Wigan Wine to the TV game on Friday, Hull Castleford on Saturday, and Salford Lee on Sunday. Um, interesting results in the wheelchair Super League this week. Well, I, I, I meant to go on Saturday and couldn't get there in the end, but victory for London Roosters, 36-30 over Leeds. Um, so very good win for London, who continue to impress this year. Well, and, and a game, again, that went absolutely down to the last play, um, that London were ahead early on. Certainly they were ahead at half-time, I think 26-10 or something like that. And uh, Leeds edged it, uh, as, as Leeds' wheelchair seemed to do. Um, and and London came back and won it with the last play of the game, which um, you know I'm, I'm told big crowd, you know at Leeds University Sports Hall, uh, and a great game, and it sets it up both both joints top of the league for the the running to see who gets the league leader shield. Um, I think the other thing that we we probably need to say about wheelchair rugby league is that you mentioned quite rightly that Canberra went viral. Um, and, and I don't know whether IMG have had a say in this, but we, our social media presence as a sport seems to be getting better. We seem to be, to, you know, to be able to get the right clips on to, to make the widest impact. And to see the, the three people at, at Wimbledon uh, being, being shown to the crowd and alongside some real, you know, not that they're not, but na- nationwide sporting treasures. Uh, was fantastic, you know, and and who who advised Tom Halliwell that he needed to wear uh, a three piece suit? Um, it looked so dapper with his with his cup of tea and the royal box at Wimbledon. Uh, but you know the reception that he got and that that James Simpson got and uh, and Rob Hawkins got, uh, and it, it you know nobody blinked twice that they deserved to be in that setting. And uh, you know the the number of, of outlets that retweeted that, not, not least Wimbledon themselves, was fantastic. Um, and clearly. Um, that wasn't the reason why uh, Leeds lost their wheelchair game because Tom was down in in London and and so was their coach. Brilliant for the sport that you know we had that result and and it keeps it open. But perhaps even more um, meritorious for the sport was that those guys decided that they shouldn't play in that game. They should go and represent it at the, at the highest possible level, and they got the, the the feedback that it deserved and and looked like they had a, a damn good time as well. And they've got better seats than Sir Anthony McCoy and Sir Steve Redgrave. See, and, uh, I don't, well, Rob Hawkins is coming on later this week, so we'll ask him about it. I don't know if he, I don't know if he's, uh, he's a tennis fan or not, but you know, you want these freeloaders who turns up at Wimbledon like all the other celebrities. But, uh, I mean, it was an amazing, was it, when you saw it and you think, and I know everyone's a normal, everyone's normal, everyone's normal, but they're in there with these really famous sports people, worldwide sports people, and there they are. Them people, we, we know them people. We've seen them. It was uh, it was great. And and Rob obviously didn't need to play for Halifax because they won 56-22 over Warrington. Although when I initially saw the result, he said that Warrington had won. So um, I don't know what happened there, but uh, when I've checked back, they, they, they didn't win. And Wigan beat uh, Hull on Sunday in the other game in the wheelchair Super League. Um, Challenge Cup this week in Hull 
So if you are around on, I think Saturday afternoon, is it head down to Hull and we'll have to have more about that later. Um, elsewhere in the Women's Super League, um, York 48, Huddersfield 8, York resting some players because they've got a couple of big games coming up. Um, St. Helens won 60 points to 6 over Warrington. Leeds beating Wigan 52 0, the return of. Um, oh, no, Kelly Booth came back last week, didn't she? Or was she back this week? I don't know she's back anyway. Uh, Lee beat Castleford 44 0. Featherson beat Bradford 46 0 in the group two, in which Barrow beat Salford 28 12, which uh, leads us into this week, where in group one it's Wigan, Warrington, and York Leeds. I, I, I don't think York Leeds is going to be broadcast anywhere, is it? I'm assuming not, because no one's mentioned it. Although, usually. Waits until I say, oh, I should be on telly, and then it gets mentioned. Uh, Barrow, Fev, Lee, Bradford, and Salford Cass in, in Group 2. York, top of the table, five wins from five. Saints with four from five. Uh, Leeds, three from five. Uh, you know, next week, it, uh, it's the press conference for the Challenge Cup semi-final. Leeds take on Wigan again. The first thing you ask Lewis for sell is, so that result last week, then, does that mean anything going into a semi-final? And... and if she's as cliched as every other coach, she'll say, no, no, no. It's what it is. And we're all excited because the collective amnesia, is this a thing? Because I swear, we all knew that George Roach had signed a five-year contract at Newcastle a month ago, six weeks ago. It was on the NRL website. And then Newcastle announced it this week as if it was new news. Um, is there anything else to talk about? Have we done everything? Everyone's quiet. I feel like I've monopolised the end of the program, but um, no. But should we do our AMG special next week? No. Um, we'll be back hopefully on Monday in the usual time and place. But the new magazine is out. Philly's helpfully waving it at us. What's in it? Twelfth birthday issue as well. Happy birthday, forty twenty magazine. So I was working out. Um... We've probably written about five and a half million words about rugby league in those 12 years. And some of them were spelt correctly. Um, we've got some brilliant columnists, um, funnily enough, two of which happen to be on the line at the moment and, and have had some wonderful contributors and still do. So to anybody who is following us and does buy the magazine or, or um, you know, would, would move it in a news agency if they saw it nearer the front, which we ask everybody to do. Um, thank you. It, to, to get to 12 years and 145 issues is is ridiculous. Um, we think there might be a little exclusive in there, but I don't want to say what it is yet until it hits the new stands in the shops on Friday. Something that may have been said inadvertently that um, that possibly give us a hint about um, some international decision that may be being made soon, uh, which could be a, just an error on their part or possibly... Um, actually, what what will be announced in Singapore at the end of July? So keep an eye out for that. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I, I won't spoil it for you, but just thank you to everybody who uh, has got us to where we are. And we've got a new book out on Salford, which we mentioned last week. Which, irrespective of their result and the ire <laughs> of their fans and the fact that it's by a Leeds publisher, people are buying at the moment. So thank you for that as well. Like I say, some people are now going to have to boycott the book because. Well, please don't. It's no, it's, it's wonderfully researched. And if, and if you are in your local news agents, um, especially those ones in uh, bus stations or whatever, make sure it's in front of Rugby World. Just, just make sure it's in. That's the best one to put in front of, isn't it, Phil? World Cup training. James, anything you want to say as we finish this programme? No, he's on mute, so he's not bothering. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll, 
<laughs> we'll see you back here on Monday. Uh, fingers crossed that the usual time unless things change. Uh, thanks for listening and watching, and we'll see you again next week. Buy the magazine. Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.